in Genesis chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again that we get to come in fellowship with one another and to edify and exhort and comfort, rebuke, and that whole gamut of things that you've given us to do as we meet with one another, as iron sharpens iron, Lord. And Lord, we're, we're so amazed that you let us be a part of the ministry. Lord, and, and Lord, we are challenged by your word, Lord, to correctly live our lives before you, Lord. And some have come newly into the faith and, and not knowing what to do, and your word gives us directions. Your word cleanses us, cleans us up on the inside that we might show the works outside. Thank you for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do that work in us, that it's not a, um, a difficult task because you're, you're doing that perfect work in us and giving us the ability to say no to the, the things that do not please you. And so we thank you for that work. We thank you for your word that just comes alive in our souls and just brings newness. Uh, we love that you speak to us so powerfully through it. And, and, uh, and this morning we just want to ask that you would speak to us through Genesis chapter 5, uh, that your truths would just come uh, that would speak to us mightily this morning. So we give you our minds, we give you our hearts, we give you everything within us. And so we ask, speak to us, that we might be radically changed this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Genesis chapter 5 is one of those chapters where you dread reading on the pulpit. It's just a lots and lots of names and ages and all that. And you're like, and, and to tell you the truth, we typically do not teach that, uh, these genealogies and chronological order of these names and stuff on the pulpit. And the reason why, because you're like, yeah, I'm not coming next week or, you know, whatever it is, you know. So we, we typically don't dive into this, uh, this realm. But this particular chapter is just filled with information. Uh, this list of name and ages in chapter 5, which may seem tedious and boring at first, becomes meaningful and exciting on closer inspection. It is from this section that tells us that men once were able to live past 900 years. Can you imagine that? 900 years? I'm having a hard time living a half a century. You know, you know, take me home now, Lord. I've seen it all. You know, I just, I'm good. Good, Lord. You know, I was used by you in a, in a nice way, in a powerful way. And now I'm ready to go. My wife hates when I speak like that. Let's move on. Anyways, this, <laughs> this chapter also indicates that men were able to father children during most of their long lives. Enoch had a son at the age of 65. And Noah had, the eight, had a son at the age of 500. Isn't that amazing? Just, just the environment, that perfect environment of the universe, we're able to 
you see that mankind was able to live for a long, long time. Um, three facts seem to be emphasized in this genealogy in chapter 5. I asked uh, Spencer to put them up there. Uh, the first one is God was preserving and, uh, and recording the divinely ordained line of the promised seed with the appropriate genealogical and chronological data. What we're going to see here is that through this lineage of Seth, it's going to flow all the way through Seth to Noah, then to Shem, then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and, you know, it's going to go down to, you know, uh, did I say Abraham already? Yeah, I did. Judah. And then we're going to see Jesus come from that bloodline. And, G- and it's really the, the, the scarlet thread that runs through the whole Bible that leads to our salvation through what Christ Jesus did for us. Amen. And so this genealogy is very powerful in that sense. And then, of course, the second point is God's command to be fruitful and multiply was being carried out since the records note that each one in the line had other sons and daughters, and we're going to see uh, the buildup of that. And the third point that we're going to see is God's uh, curse was also in effect, since uh, in spite of the fact that each man lived a hundred of, hundreds of years, eventually he died. And so, uh, of course, we know that in the promise that God made to Adam and Eve, saying, if you eat the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, you will surely die. There's consequences and penalties to sin. Sin is that missing that, you know, that mark, that perfect standard of God. And so when we sin, there's a penalty applied. And that's why we all have the penalty of death. And that's why we're all going to die is because we missed that perfect mark. Now, Jesus is the perfect standard and he met the perfect standard. He bullseyed that target. And now Jesus turns to us and says, hey, take my blood, take my life, and I'll exchange it for your sins. And it's beautiful. He hits the target and he allows us to go through that. But the thing is, is that we see death. And that's the one thing that Moses is going to make very clear in chapter 5. And if you don't get it by the first eight verses, I'm going to read the whole thing. So you better get it. So <laughs> There is one more work of God that we find in this chapter and it's really that it says this, that God is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. In verse 24, this, this, this verse will come out very clear to, uh, as a statement for that. It says this, that Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. In Enoch, the author is able to show that the pronouncement of death is not the last word that need to be said about a person's life. One can find life if one walks with God. Amen? We're going to spend a little time in that particular verse when we get to verse 24. But let us begin in chapter 5, verse 1. And it begins by saying this. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in in the likeness of God, He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. So just a a kind of, if you haven't gotten that study or listened to that study in Genesis 1, uh, you can go to the app, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel, uh, the Rock app, or even on YouTube and go back and listen to that. I just, 
drop the bomb on that whole evolution theory. There's only two theories that you can believe in, the creation story or evolution. And, and you know, in chapter one, when I'm, when I'm teaching through there, I just share the, 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 the factual statement that, you know, that I cannot believe in millions of years that's unobservable and say that's truth. So the evolution theory to me is washed away. I don't care what they they, they just pound away at you. You're like, no, 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 no. You're still trying to get me to believe in a million years that's un it's unobservable. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. That's too much faith. <laughs> you know? But faith in the creation story of everything so perfectly made, our whole environment, where if it was just moved just a, a less than a hair, everything would collapse, that speaks of a creator. And so I, I, I build that up there in chapter one so you can get that study uh, that's very clear. And so when God says he created man and woman, same idea, same idea. But notice here, it says there that this is a written account of Adam. And so we are told that at the time of Adam, there is writings and there's books and advanced speech. Contrary to what evolutionists say, language and writings are not part of the advanced evolutionary process. Have you heard that? Yeah. This, this, you know, they, they, humans, you know, verse one says that humans uh, are made and formed by God. Uh, they weren't, you know, bumbling, ignorant cavemen, you know as depicted by evolutionary anthropologists and archaeologists, just like God made a full formed and developed universe, so did God make a fully formed and developed man. Remember, they weren't birthed. They didn't have to you know, go through the process of learning. God made them already mature with knowledge that's just filled with this um, uh, wonder. It, you know, I have a book at home that speaks of things that were created thousands and thousands of years ago in the time of Moses, and you would be blown away with the technology that they had at that time. Plumbing, brass, there's a lot more that they found in digging up some of these old places during Abraham's time. And it's just the archaeological digs are just fascinating. And it takes you to a man that doesn't come from a cave with these little, you know, rock you know, you know, made out little, you know, rocks that chisel away carvings. No, these guys were brilliant, creating tools and advancements that, you know, that are that are that are wonders to us today. So just just as God created the universe, He created man as well, and so pretty amazing. So let's go on. It says there now that when Adam had lived there in verse three, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had sons in his own likeness in his own image, and he named him Seth. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and he died. Now, you better start saying that with me. And he died. Yeah, because that's, that's what Moses wants you to get, right? What Moses is trying to get you to, to see there is that there was two murders last chapter, but nobody had naturally died. So they could have said, yeah, I don't know. God said that you would die, but you haven't died. But here in chapter 5, you see people naturally dying now. And in the Bible, you know, you, you, as, as a physician, you can look and determine, yeah, you died because of 
some illness, sickness, body decaying, just getting old. But the Bible tells you what started all that. The Bible takes you back to the beginning and says it was sin. And God promised death. And now all men die simply because we all sin. So this chapter, Moses is making it very clear. And he, look, and he looks at this genealogy, you know, and he begins to talk about each person. They say, they started with life. They had children. And they died. died. There you go. Say it again. They died. died. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the, by the way, Seth here is the third son. Uh, if you remember, there were two other sons. So, uh, you know, there were some think that maybe there might have been daughters even uh, born before Seth. It could be true. It's not stated. Uh, the reason why that we have the records that we have is because God is showing the bloodline, that scarlet thread that comes from, you know, Adam to Seth, down to Enoch, down to Noah and Abraham, all the way down to Jesus Christ. So we see that scarlet thread that Jesus Christ is from the original man who would come and pay for our sins. So Seth here is, uh, though he is the third son, he is the first listed here in Genesis chapter 5. Um, you know, the, the genealogies, by the way, when you, when you, you know, it's, it's difficult to read them all. I mean, it's just the, the names, and it's quite boring. But it reminds me of God's unstoppable faithfulness. What we're going to learn at the end of our time here is that each name has a meaning behind it. And when you pull all those meanings together, there's a sentence that states that man has fallen, there's great sorrow, but there's salvation to be had. God laid out this amazing prophecy through the names of all these, uh, uh, all these individuals. Let's move on to verse 6. It says this, When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh, and after he became the father of Enos, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughter. And altogether, Seth lived 912 years. And then he died. died. Thank you. And so when, when Enos had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enos lived 850 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Enos lived 905 years and he died. died. Wow, wow, this is sad. This is, this is a sad chapter, right? And, and you know, I, I, I'm always shocked when, when people are so devastated by uh, death in the sense of someone living a very old age, right? And I'm, I'm very shocked because it's the human history, you know, and, and, and people die. And, and that's why the message of Jesus Christ is so powerful. There's life after death in Christ Jesus. And so this here is quite, it's quite shocking. You know, with, with but one exception, every time a man and his key son is mentioned, we are told how many years he lived. And then we read the jarring words, and he died, right? And so, gosh, uh, you know, we don't, you know, think about this, the span of life of everybody here. Many of us marvel at the life, the long lifespan in this passage uh, after all, seven of the ten patriots listed in Genesis 5 lived more than 900 years. Um, when, I, when I think of that, I think of the perfect environment 
for long living. You know, something happened after the flood. Um, we don't quite grasp it all. Even as scientists in the creation realm, you know, they, have a, they can give you a lot of explanations. Uh, one thing that we know that the sun rays are attacking our human body and it produces disease, cancers, in such a rate that we die at a young age. Now, the genetic pool has left us from perfection now, has decayed through many, many generations to what we have today. And the average lifespan in the American culture is 78. And every time I throw that out, I look around and I see someone who's at 80 and 82 and 85. I'm like, yeah, you know, but it's balanced out by those who die at a younger age. And so 78, right? And that's... That, to me, is alarming in itself because it tells us, as the psalmist says, life is but a vapor, vapor. So it, it really, it, and, and for me, it really speaks of my limited time on this earth. It speaks to me in an amazing way in the sense that what am I doing for the kingdom of God? It really does. And, I, and, I, and, and that's my prayer for you this morning is that, that that knowing that that our lifespan is very it's but a vapor, I, I pray that that warning would jar you. And it would, you know because every young kid I, I look at these young guys around me, you know I, I get to work with the young adults and they're so young right, energetic you know they run like deers and you know you're like, <laughs> and I just sit on my chair you know and I'm just like. You know, there's no way I'm going to get out there and try to compete with them, you know. I'm not going to die. I remember being that young and thinking that, you know. Getting in these crazy car accidents, surviving, and going, yeah, that was horrible, but I'm alive. You know, and so, you, you know, you, you think it's never going to happen. Then when you get older, boy, you know, I'm driving a lot safer. I'm looking at you crazy young people driving. I'm like, yeah, stay away from them. You know, I just, you know, I, I'm just aware of everything. I'm not doing the things that I did as a youngster, not jumping off the cliffs into the mountain, you know, into the spring. Yes, that was so exciting. Uh, there's no way I would do that now. You know, there's, there's so many things that I'm trying to do to survive this life. You know, and so <laughs> it, it's just interesting when you're young, though, you never think about that. But I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would awaken you and un- cause you to understand that's going to give way. Then what are you going to say before your maker and your creator? That's really important. So uh, verse 6, when Seth lived 105 years. Did I read that already? Okay, let's move on then. Verse, uh, verse 12, it says there that when Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalel. By the way, another reason to read genealogies is if you have a baby, there's some good names here. Right? <laughs> I did that for Brianna. It doesn't work. So I just, you know, what am I going to name her? Tamar, palm tree. I don't, you know, there's a, you know, just, there's a verse 13. And after he became the father of Mahel, uh, El, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years and he died. Okay, all right. I, I don't have to read that anymore. You guys got it. So let's move on to verse 21, the, the, where I want to spend a little time here. It says there, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. 
And altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him. He didn't see death. And that is quite refreshing in this whole chapter of death. There's one man that defeats death. And here it tells us why. It says there in verse 22, because Enoch walked with God. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us information about this. It says there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 through 6, it says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away before he saw death. For before he was taken, notice this, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Do you see that? He was one who was commended because he pleased God. Here's his life. Enoch, right in, this, right in the middle of a depraved world, this is just you know, a, a, you know, a generation before, generation two before the flood, meaning that that the whole world is gone, you know, it, 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 and when you get into Genesis chapter 6, it says that the whole world continually thinks of evil. He's right in that. He's right in the most desperate of time when sin is rampant, the culture is going a different direction than going towards God, and here's a man that says, I don't want to go that route. I want to go the route of pleasing God. And God rewards them. How do you please God? Well, the Bible tells us there's many ways to please God, right? Here in, in Hebrews, it tells us this. It says that uh, first, you must come to know that he exists, right? So that's the, the very first place is that you have to come to the acknowledgement that God exists. And in, in Genesis chapter 1, when we studied that, uh, I, I hope that I was able to show you clearly that God exists. And knowing that God exists and knowing that he wants a relationship with you, it should alter your life. It should alter your life in such a way that you say, I want to know him now. That's what happened to me in my life when, you know, just last last Sunday I had someone come up and say, you know, all my family's anti-God, they're anti-Bible, they're anti-that. And I go, yeah, so was I. So were many of you. But God in his supernatural love and supernatural power comes in and he reveals himself to you and you fall on your face and you say, I surrender to you, God. But then you say, I want to know the one that wants to have a relationship with me. And so there should be an excitement of a new relationship. I have a relationship with the living God and I want to know him now. So I open up my Bible and I begin to read. And by the way, when I begin to read, there's biblical passages that tells me how I ought to live. And now I'm, oh man, God is not pleased with that. I want to change my life. And it's difficult, but the power of the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you the ability. And now you're beginning to look more like Christ, Christians little Christ, right? Now listen, if you're not getting it, if you're not reading the Bible, 
one of your brothers and sisters is going to teach you a very good lesson. Right? I remember of uh, one of the, uh, the Calvary Chapel pastors, uh, he has a huge church in Southern California, and he was saying when he first gave his life to Jesus, he had long hair, you know, he was, uh, he was just into booze and just, you know, and, and so he brought for his lunch, uh, you know, a can of Coors, right? And so, and so he's working with all the believers. They're living in a, one house, and all these believers, and there's an old saint watching over them. And so he comes in, and he goes, I'm ready for work, you know, and he comes with his lunch, and he has to stay there. And so they go work, and at lunchtime, he opens up his lunch and pops the Coors, right? And so the, the old saint says, we don't do that as Christians anymore. And he says, why not? I have liberty. He goes, yes, you do, but why go back to the old life? Man, I can't believe I'm pouring out my Coors, right? <laughs> so they and then, you know, and then they decide that, you know, that they wanted to take a motorcycle, Harley-Davidson on the truck, back to someone else's house. So he says, I want to ride in the back. So he gets in the back of the truck and he just, you know, it's going, they're going, you know, on the speed limit. And he gets on the motorcycle and he's acting like he's driving it in the very back. And he's shouting, woo, woo, wah, ha, you know. And, and the, the old pastor is like looking at him going, you know, and just shaking his head. And, and all of a sudden he sees these girls come up in a car and he gives out that whistle, woo, woo, you know, that wolf whistle, you know. And the, the old saint, the old saint in the car says, hey, we don't do that either. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm single. They're single. He goes, yeah, but we must behave properly as they're our sisters in the Lord, as they are sisters in the Lord. He's like, I can't even do that. You know, if you're not going to read your Bible, I'm telling you, when you saints are going to correct you as iron sharpened iron. You're not going to like that. I like when God does the work and not you. <laughs> But that's why we come to church. That's why we come here. We're growing in grace. We're falling in love with God, and we're falling in love with one another, and we're going to pour into one another's lives. I remember coming in the church and just sitting down by mature, I said older saints last time, but I'm going to say mature saints. You know, uh, and so, Scotland, how, how long have you been in the faith? 44 years. And here I am, you know, 20-year-old, nothing-year-old kid. I come and sit by Scotland, you know, and I'm like, hey, my name is Bond. And he goes, my name is Scotland. Scotland, how long, how, how long have you been in the faith? 40 years. Wow. And then he said, how long have you been in the faith? Oh, I just gave my life to the Lord this week. And I would say, Scotland, you got a lot to teach me. Yeah? That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what we're all about. I was looking to fall in love with God and to know him, whether it was through his word or through experience of people in the church. There was something beautiful that was taking place in my life that says, I want to know God and now I want to please God. And how do I please God? By my walk, by my life, by my actions, by my words, by what, how I behave now. All these things now speak of what has taken place inwardly in our soul, right? So as God is changing you inwardly, you begin to show it outwardly. I want to read my Bible. I don't care what my friends say. You know, um, my, my brother Joe, by the way, he's still in the hospital. His, uh, he had COVID and I, I shared that with you guys. And uh, he's been on a, a, he's been intubated for, I think, I think it's day 17 now. And so 
serious, serious case, but the last three or four days, the numbers have been climbing up. So we're praying for a miracle. Keep praying for that. But this is the thing. My, my brother is a soul winner like me. He, he, we, we traveled together and we would go preach together. And he's actually more crazier than I in that he would hold signs. Now, I'm not a sign holder. He's like, come on, Bond, we're going to go share at Balboa Park. And he goes, hold this sign. Hold this. I'm not a sign holder. I'll talk to anybody, but I'm not a sign holder. He goes, no, hold this sign. You know? like, when I came home, born again, you know, I told him, I, it, all his friends were all on the couch. They were all smoking up and drinking and everything. And I walk in and I go, hey, guys, I just gave my life to Jesus. Oh, that's great for you, you know. <laughs> that's, what do you think God's going to do for you now? And they were all clowning me, right? They were all making fun, joking with me. And I was serious. I thought they were really serious. You know, and I'm like, well, let me tell you what I learned in my short knowledge, short knowledge of Christ. You know, I've been, what, saved about an hour or two? Let me tell you, you know. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit would give me answers for them. Three months later, my brother Joe pulls over on his car as he's thinking about every, every conversation we had and gives his life to Jesus. Three months later, right? And we become the sons of thunder in our town. <laughs> <laughs> the work of grace, the work of grace. So, by the way, that's, I tell God there, I, now, right now, I'm like, hey, God, can you just keep him around along, a little longer? Because I know he will preach it up. I know he's a soul winner. God, keep him around a little longer. That would be so awesome. But according to your will, let it be done, you know. And so uh, keep him in your prayers. But listen to this, you know, pleasing God. I came home and I began to witness to my brother. And it wasn't like I needed to. It was just something that just happened instantly in my life. And that set up a, a, you know, a, a pretty good platform for my future that I would be that bold to share. I was courageous to open my Bible in public now. I mean, I, I had no fears. Now I have a relationship with the living God. I'm different now. I'm not going out to all the parties. I'm not hanging out with all the the craziness of my friends that, that, that the cops were chasing us and we were running around, you know, trying to avoid them. None of that anymore. I began to become pleasing to God. And that's what's happening to you. If you haven't learned that, that's what's happening to you. You're being transformed that you might please God. And this is the thing. When you please God... There's a beautiful work that takes place in your life. There's peace that passes understanding. There's joy that I can't even express. That's what John says, right? There's life and life more abundantly. All heck can be breaking loose, but you're so calm and peace and you're God's sovereign. And then there's life to be found. What changed Enoch's life? What changed, you know, at 65, he had a son, it says there. And, 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 and I really believe it started with God's word to him. God says this to him in verse 22, uh, or 21. And when Enoch lived uh, 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. What a name. What a, what a name, Methuselah, right? Uh, any of you want to name your sons Methuselah? Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't think so, but... Listen to this. His name means his death shall bring. So what we believe is that God spoke to Enoch and said, name your son 
His death shall bring about judgment. His death shall bring about the flood so that when he dies, the flood will come. And so Enoch is challenged and changed by that prophecy. He's like, what? I'm going to name my child after his death, Methuselah. Judgment's coming on the earth? I'm getting right right now, Lord. And for 300 years, he walks with God. You see, I like wake-up calls. I pray that you have one this morning. A wake-up call where God says something to you that radically changes your life forever. And that for, you know, I know it's not going to be 300 years, but you're going to walk with God from this point forward. Listen, when I gave my life to Jesus on that day, I remember putting it on a scale. All right, let me, let me, following you, living for you, obeying your word, fame, fortune, money, you know, cars, everything, home, whatever, whatever I wanted at that time. I put it on a scale and I was like, oh, it's worth following you, Lord. And when I did that, I was radically changed for the rest of my life. Radically. It changed my whole, you know, the, the, the whole mindset, the, my attitude, my, my philosophy. It changed everything. And I just was radically changed. Some of you need a wake-up call. I, you know, I don't mind preaching about hell. Because some of you need that. Oh, yeah, okay, man, I'm not going there, you know. I'm going to go to Christ. And so it radically changes you. Whereas my life was changed by God's great love. Someone preached that Jesus loved you. And he died for you. And he's made a way for you to get to heaven. That spoke to me. I I love prophecies because I, I think of, you know, that last song, that Jesus, who's able to pick the scroll, right? And, and, and you know, when you see Jesus who take, or takes the, take the scroll, it was Jesus who took the scroll, right? But think about this in Revelation. This should awaken you. That for many, many years, we're looking at Revelation going, yeah, none of that stuff can happen. Really? The whole world see the death of two men? That, that can't happen. The mark of the beast, that, that, you know, the 666, no way, right? But we have the technology to see anywhere on planet Earth at any given time. The destruction that happens anywhere, we're instantly there, right? In Afghanistan, they're putting it on the phone and, and showing tragedy, and we're witnessing it and seeing it with our eyes all across the world. That technology has come about. The mark of the beast, who would have thought that they're trying to mandate now for a shot that's worldwide. The world has come together with one cause. That has never happened. And now this is just the setup for that. Take the mark of the beast because you won't be able to sell, you know, or sell or buy. If you don't take the mandate, you're not going to be able to sell and buy, right? That's what they're trying to say to us, right? But eventually us Americans are going to get American and we're going to fight for our freedom. That's just how it works, you know? And, and you know, that's, yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not opposed against vaccination. 
I'm opposed against my freedoms. That's all. That's all. That, I'll always talk about that because Christ has given us freedom. And I'll always talk about that. You know, I, I'm not, you know, so we'll help in any way we can, you know, with you guys, you know, with your religious exemptions and all that. We'll, we'll gladly help with that. Our religious freedom in America, hey, nobody wants a lawsuit about that. <laughs> you know, so so we, we'll help those areas. But listen to this, you know, just this is a wake-up call. Revelation is a wake-up call. The technology to put a chip in your hand is here. And it's, it has digital codes ready to go. The whole scary chapter of 13 with all these John sees these creatures that you know have this hair looming and great sounds of thunder and stuff. We have the modern technology that looks just like that, that all it has to have is demons possessing these crazy men to oversee these machinery. Isn't that interesting that we have these helicopters stuck in Afghanistan under the Taliban? Whoa. Anyways, that's revelation. That should wake you up. That should wake you up. I want to live for Christ now. I want to please him. That's what it should do. And our lives should be radically changed when we come to know Jesus. And that's, it's amazing here what's happening to Enoch. Enoch, it says there that, uh, that by faith uh, Enoch was uh, taken from this life. And, and, and that's so amazing when you think of that term because death has been appointed to all men and he survives it because he's pleasing God. And, you know, there's no works that you can do. There's nothing that you can benefit. You know, when, when you give your life to Jesus, you're a done deal in his eyes. Now, you know, we always say, you know, sanctification, glorification. Glorification is that you're a done deal in God's eyes. You can't better your position in heaven. You're done. Jesus did it for you. There's no works to better that position. Now, sanctification on earth, becoming more like him, there's work to be done. But it's his work. He's transforming you. Every day of our lives, he's changing us to be more like him. But your position in heaven, done. Simply by inviting Jesus into your life. Simply by asking him, I forget, I, I, I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness, Jesus, for my life. Show me how to live for you now. And God takes over. And this whole pleasing of the life now, now you've come from death to life. So that when you breathe your last breath here on earth, you're in heaven. Amen? You're in heaven. By the way, Methuselah, when he does die, by the way, he's the oldest man, right? Did you see that? How much was it? 960, was it nine, how much? 969. Think about the grace of God here. He says that the flood will come at his death. And he happens to be the oldest man who ever lived on planet earth. Why? That all would repent of their sins. God didn't want to bring judgment but judgment's needed against a God-rejecting world. And he allowed Methuselah to live the longest on planet Earth that many would come to know him. The book of Jude says this about uh, 
about this last remark about Enoch. You have that up there, Spencer, the book of Jude? There it is. It says there, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. Listen to this. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied. Look at his prophesy. He's not prophesying about the flood, but look what he's prophesying about. He said, about these men, see that the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, that's you and I, to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and that all of the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch is amazing. In this crazy environment that he's living in, these ungodly people are saying, why are you living a moral life? Why are you living a godly life? They begin to make accusations against him, and he says, listen, I'm prophesying now. Judgment is coming. Jesus is coming with his saints. And he's coming to judge the world of sin. He's prophesying to his own generation. You know, and, and, you know, I don't know if, you know, Noah, you know, responded to those prophecies, but Noah was another one of those righteous men. Amen? Amen. That you see in this chapter. But this morning, I want to leave you here with Enoch that there is a way to avoid death and that is in pleasing God. Amen? Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, what, what hinders you? What stops you? You know, you, you, you young people, you know, there's some of you young people, you're like, yeah, I want to live my life the way I want, you know. Yeah, I tried that for 20-something years and I was pretty, I was a pretty successful worldly guy. <laughs> You know, I avoided jail. Amen? <laughs> Gosh, you know, with all the craziness, I should have been in jail so, much, so many times. But why are you fighting against God? Why are you wrestling with him? My prayer is this for you young guys, you young kids, is this, is that God will reveal his plan to you and show you the best life ever. The best life ever. I can't even compare the two. I had a very successful, you know, single worldly life, but to compare to that in my heavenly life or my Christian life, there's no comparison. And I can't explain it to you. I can just tell you that God will do that. Quit wrestling. Some of you are wrestling with God. Quit. Give up like, you know, Jacob was like, okay, I'm done wrestling. You know, you know, God finally poked his hip, socket. He's like, "Okay, I'm done." I don't know about Jacob. I don't even, I don't even wrestle God. I'm like, I'm pinned. You know, go, go ahead, God. Do what you need, man. I'm there, man. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And that could be your life's tag. Amen. We'll see that on your little statue. No, the little concrete, little boulder that they put out there in front of your grave, right? Jim walked with God, and he is not, for God took him. Oh, amen. Let's stand up and we'll worship the Lord and allow his word to saturate our souls this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing word.
the amazing life of Enoch. Let us learn that lesson of pleasing you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, will you find favor in these young people here this morning, Lord? Will you show them yourself in a powerful way that would change their lives radically, Lord? We plead for our children, Lord. We plead that you would take them, Lord, and rescue them from their worldly lives Show them the beauty that's found in you, Lord. It's only, it can only be done by you. And for us, Lord, we pray the same prayer, Lord. Take us to the heavens of heavens, Lord. Take us there, whether it's through your word or whether it's through dreams. Lord, we know ultimately you will take us there when we breathe our last. But take us there before we go home with you, Lord, that our lives would be radical, Lord. Lord, we need a wake-up call. And I pray that this morning that was it. Have your way with us, Lord. Direct us, Lord. Challenge us. Rebuke us. (laughs) Edify and exhort us, Lord, that we would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.